I'm Ed Adams, and this is the AFCA Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the AFCA Podcast. This show is a collaboration from members of the African American Film Critics Association, where we highlight and advocate for our unique voices to be heard in entertainment journalism and film criticism around the world. Our goal for this podcast is simple, to have a real dialogue about the issues facing people of color within the entertainment spectrum. Good, bad, or indifferent, everything is on the table and nothing is out of bounds. We thought it fitting for our first show to talk about identity. I'll explain more right after the break. The AFCA Podcast is sponsored by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Our show today is about identity. As people of color, that's often a loaded question. How a person identifies, and more importantly, the acceptance of that identity is often a topic of debate amongst friends, around dinner tables, and especially in film. The movie Napoli Ever After is steeped in just such a conversation. Based on the best-selling book of the same name by Tricia R. Thomas, we follow Violet, played by Sanai Lathan, a successful ad executive who has to come to terms with who she is and what she ultimately really wants to be. To unpack this topic and how black hair fits into this conversation is AFCA member Rhonda Rache Penrice, a critic and writer at large. Rhonda, how are you doing today? I'm cool. How you doing, Ed? I am fine. Uh, I did have a chance to see Napoli Ever After on Netflix, and I felt like who better to have this conversation with today about female identity issues than with the person who I know I've had millions of conversations with about this, which is Rhonda Penrice. Rhonda Rache. Rhonda Rache. Rhonda Rache. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. So tell me, first off, what did you think of the movie? Well, I mean, it was, you know, well done, like the production quality and so forth. I think that for me, I think it was really good issues. My thing is always about our timing in Hollywood. And I think that because it's it's hard to make any movie But I think with us, because we have so many extra barriers to go through, it takes even longer. For me, it's kind of bittersweet to watch Napoli Ever After, knowing the history behind it in the sense that Halle Berry Berry had optioned this many years ago. Mm -hmm. And it should have been made then. And so, as we know... In Hollywood, it takes a while for anything to get made, but for us, it's even longer. And so I think that it still has an impact because as a friend reminded me, we're in the creative industry, but for a lot of women, you know, this is still an issue. We're not at the point where we can be accepted. I mean... The other day, well, I shouldn't say the other day, but I don't know if you're familiar with the different court cases about people being banned from wearing their hair naturally. And so there is a case where dreadlocks have been uh, uh, companies 
discrimination against dreadlocks has been upheld. Exactly. One of the things that I read recently was an interesting kind of a piece saying that parents take partial blame for the images of, 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 of their daughters, of black girls. Uh, and this movie kind of illustrates how parents' issues or parents pushing their daughters into this kind of perfect body image, which is really what the, the crux of this movie is about, has a ripple effect on their, their self-identity. Well, I mean, we have to be careful because a lot of times what happens now is we individualize these circumstances and we divorce them from the bigger societal issues. The reason that you have certain pressures and the mother has grown up a certain way is because there was a time as black women, as we still see now, where you cannot be employed with your hair in its natural state. There is a reason why so much money has been built in the black hair care business, because unfortunately, black people, when we live in the United States of America, and historically, that has been a more predominantly um, white society. And that is the dominant power structure. And when we've gone into certain positions and a lot of jobs that has been communicated to us as unacceptable and when you're trying to feed yourself you do what is necessary to put food on your table so whereas those dire circumstances may not still persist that mindset is still embedded so when people what people have done as more a survival mechanism and trying to function in a white supremacist society, then later on that gets individualized. And it happens a lot where it's her mother was this, her mother was that, and we divorce it from the societal norms. I see. So one of the things that kind of comes to mind when you said all of that was we have a tendency to code switch. I think it's kind of unique to being a person of color as opposed to, uh, you know, being white, right? And I think this movie illustrates that very well. Have you ever had a moment where you thought you didn't have an opportunity because of uh, a, choice, a hair choice or a cosmetic choice or a body issue that you thought uh, hindered you from having something? Hmm, that's interesting. Well, I wanted to make a comment just about code switching, because what we have to understand, we use that term in only one aspect of life, but we code switch in very, in a lot of different aspects. You don't talk to your mother the same way that you talk to your good um, friend who happens to be a woman. You don't or you don't talk to your mother the same way you talk to your aunt for most people. So we're co in life. We're always code switching. Yeah, but I mean it more in a broader sense where we talk about race relations, especially when it comes to work. Oh, for sure. I mean, for work, people, for work, and also it depends on the work that you do. Mm -hmm. There are some, some jobs have less a degree of that because they're not as embedded into that structure. So for me, personally, I haven't been um i i've i mean for the most part i guess when i was in the workforce i was i was the body type i did have um long straight hair so it was more i don't think it was 
what was on the outside for me. I think it was what was on the inside for me. Okay. Just challenging and speaking up. Most of my issues come from speaking up. Interesting. Not necessarily in the way I look. Okay. So that was also a, a, a very prominent theme in this film, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It really is about, you know, understanding and learning to love yourself. Um, regardless of the pressures that uh, society has put upon you. But I was fascinated with the idea that when I was reading articles about it and reading more about the books, that that is such a it's, it's boy, black boys have similar issues, but not in the same way as black girls. Obviously, you know, we don't have Barbie dolls to compare ourselves to. But I am I, I am very curious about how the relationships that you start to see develop, not just with her mother that we see is kind of weird, but even her, her boyfriend, her potential new boyfriend, and then uh, his daughter. Uh, and to which one of the articles I was reading kind of really emphasized the relationship between Sanai and uh, the daughter. Yes. Well, one of the things that was, I mean, relationship with the, um, with the daughter was very fresh in a sense because she was trying to uh, help her like actually she was before she cut her hair she was in that pattern of correcting and making negative commentary towards the little girl but as she developed a relationship with the young girl she did things that affirmed her outside of what she looked like and that was an extremely refresh refreshing dynamic especially since she actually formed a relationship with Zoe he um who's played by Daria Johns and she actually formed a relationship with the with Zoe outside of being romantically involved with her father and that's what I really liked. So it wasn't the dynamic of she was trying to get in good graces with his daughter in order to be with him. Somehow she and this little girl who start off very rocky become alliances. They become friends. And she uses that friendship to affirm her in very important ways. And I thought they both learned from each other as well. Oh, uh, for sure. You know, and I and I thought that was actually very charming to see. Um, the one of the things I thought uh, was pretty interesting was Ernie Hudson's role as her father, uh, who left his job to become a, a an aging, a mature model, male model. Okay, well, I, I mean, I guess, but I mean, it doesn't stick to. Our theme, we want, we're talking about the woman here. I know, I know, but, but the thing that I found so fascinating about it was it was, it, it felt so unnecessary and it added this kind of comic relief to me. It was just kind of like, yeah, I'm a man. I can do this. I can leave my job. I can become a male yeah. model. I can become a success. Not a problem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, her... and he didn't. And what's interesting about that now, okay, I'm, I'm with you now. I can follow you on this point. What's interesting to become a male model, do we see him do anything to himself? Nothing. He 
He didn't change his hair. He didn't. He didn't go. He didn't say, "I'm going to the gym." And get, he was in this role. Her father, even though he was an older man, was fine. Absolutely, the way he was. But what we see with the female characters is it's just not that easy. And I wanted to go back and make a commentary. Like for men, it just seems like the big pressure for men, as long as you make money, that can write it all. But with a woman, she can't just make money and be better. Like it doesn't matter how rich a woman gets. There's still a physical pressure on her mm-hmm. to look a certain way. Whereas men get rich, they can be they can be overweight, they, they can be in tattered clothes. It doesn't matter. It's the money that matters. But for a woman, that how you look on the outside, your appearance, your attractiveness level is still a measure in this society. And that's for every woman, regardless of what race she is. I totally agree. Um, yeah, I, I I just thought that was such a, a, a weird dichotomy. I don't know if it was in the book. I haven't read the books, but I did find that fascinating that literally he decides he leaves his job, decides to become a model, becomes a model, billboard all over the city. <laughs> yeah. uh, all these little young girls are all up in his face mm-hmm. <laughs> and his daughter is going through this meltdown and he's like, you'll be fine. Just love you. Don't worry about it. You know, it was very strange to see, but I do feel that I, it does illustrate the differences between the sexes like you just mentioned. I think it happens all the time. I mean, men tell you to get over certain things or that, you know, basically what you're going through is isn't that hard like you're making it dramatic and that definitely shows that men in a certain way is easier a man is considered attractive in our society basically until he gets a foot in the grave but women i mean we're living in a time now where in past decades women, Sanaya's in her 40s, and to play roles where you're sexy and you have suitors and so forth, there were times when that was over (laughs) by the time you got to this age. And Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see that being expanded, that at this age, you're not just uh, someone's mother or grandmother. That's a good, that's a good because, point. Yeah, typically that's what we see. But one of the things that was interesting, although I was a little uncomfortable about both of the men having so much to say about her hair, which men do, I found that to be true too. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm someone that men in my natural, with my natural hair, and then the people make a big deal out of white women in particular, um, just coming and touching your hair when it's natural. That's never happened to me. I know it's happened to other people. I know someone who made a whole app about it. So I know it's happened. But for me, what's the curious thing is, 
curly and straight black men have just come and that I don't know really have just come and touched my hair. Wow, that's so strange. I, you know, as a guy, I used to have dreads, uh, mm-hmm. and the one thing that would drive me crazy is people touching my hair. You know, just yeah. random people touching my hair. Um, and even when I went bald, when I first went bald, um, <laughs> they people would like want to rub my head, and I'm like, what the what the fuck? <laughs> You're like Buddha. You're like Buddha. Like I'm only rubbing well, your head. Well, Buddha, you rub life. your belly. So. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> oh, so, thank God I got, that I got didn't happen. Learn about Buddha. <laughs> yeah, thank God that didn't happen. But, but yeah, there but is there, this. You no, know, there's no personal space in those instances, I guess, right? I mean, there are no boundaries, like, I'm assuming. I'm not your pet. But what <laughs> was very interesting in, um, what was very interesting in Napoli Ever After is the scene where he puts the um, oil on her head. <laughs> and I thought that was a huge moment because so often what's communicated to women is that you can't be sexy without having long flowing hair that a man puts his hands through. And to see that scene where he takes the oil and he rubs into her scalp and it's an erotic thing. Now it's a weird scene because it's happening outside in public and you're like, maybe you might need some privacy for this moment. Okay. I thought that was some (laughs) creepy shit. I could not imagine... Just like I'm on a date and I brought this hair care product. Let me just massage your scalp and just kind of make out with you. Yeah, I that well, bothered me, but well, I they did know each other beforehand. I mean, so yeah, but, it was a little less creepy, but it was really it was sexy. No, I mean, I, I, it, I'm, I'm looking at the potential of it, not the actual execution of it. So I think that if, you know, they had gotten together to talk about his oil products and they were to, I mean, his hair products and they were in her home or his home, that it would have been sexier. It just seemed weird. But then again, it kind of caught her off guard that it was sexy for someone to put oil in your on your scalp. And so I think, like, again, I do think it was very intimate, but it raised an awareness that a woman without hair could have sex appeal. No, that was now that I get Um, real quickly. I wanted to talk about Clint, Ricky Whittle's character, the doctor Mm -hmm. that she was so intent to marry, who basically would kind of fill out her Barbie dream house lifestyle Mm -hmm. um one of the things i found fascinating was how he uh made a really i thought it was actually a really good line when he said every time i'm with you i'm going on the first date because i don't know anything about you um but at the same time so then when she cuts her hair and there's that moment when they're together and you see them really just embracing, you know, he embraces her for who she is for the first time and they have this really great sex scene and everything seems to be going right and he proposes to her and as soon as he gets to know the real her with her natural hair, um, when he has to go back to meet his parents, 
he's like, yeah, go put a, put a wig on, do something about yourself. And it, it reminded me of the phrase, you know, uh, uh, you know, a queen in the, a queen in the streets and a, and a, and a, and a freak in the sheets, you know, is that mm-hmm. kind of analogy. And that was the first thing that came into my mind. And I wondered to myself is like, as a woman, is, is that what you see all the time or is that something that you think people expect or, or what? Well, one of the things, I mean, I was, I didn't like how contradictory that was because he was the one who kind of, kind of led to this moment. But I guess his thing was, I want your hair straight most of the time. I didn't want you to go shave it off. But then when he saw, I guess, her kind of inner confidence, which that's a good message and a bad message. One of the things that they kind of got at at the end, which was a little late for me, and I hope they would expand this, was you should be able to wear your hair whatever way feels good for you. But it did show that hair can be an accessory. When her hair was blonde, she felt a certain way. When her hair was bald, she felt a certain way. When she started growing her hair back, she felt a certain way. When it was bone straight, she felt a certain way. So hair does set a tone for who you are. And it's not an either or situation. And I felt like for a lot of the movie, it was an either or situation. And if you wake up and you want to wear your hair curly, you should be able to do that. If you want to have it bone straight, if you want to be bald, you should have the freedom to express yourself however you wish to. There are some people who have short hair that are wearing weaves. There are people who have natural hair and the natural hair is a weave. Yeah, I've I've seen that. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was thinking about my family members and and they have you know relatively long hair, but they still put extensions in. They'll still put weave in, and I'm always you know scratching my head. But you know who am I to tell them what to do with their head? Um, but it. But are they putting it in? See, there's a difference. There's nothing wrong with you having extensions. There's nothing wrong with weaving your hair. There is nothing wrong with this. What is wrong is if you are doing that to be acceptable and fit into someone else's standard of beauty. If you feel like if you feel like you want to have hair down to your butt one day and that's your mood and you are cool with that because you just want to have hair to your butt that's fine. Now, when you come and you want to have hair to your butt because you feel like people that that you're meeting the standard of beauty are coming outside of yourself, then that's where the issue lies. As women, I think what's so great about this period of time that we're in, in 2018 and hopefully beyond, is that you can wear your hair a variety of ways. You can be locked up, you can be straight, you can be short, you can be long, and it's just an expression. It does not determine how beautiful you are. 
Absolutely. That's that's a that's a really good point. Um, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about was um, the the moment when she leaves her job and she decides to represent Will and his natural hair care products. And she does that pitch and you kind of get this sense. And not only does she go into details about uh, black women and hair care products, those statistics, but also uh, how black women are now embracing their inner beauty with their natural hair. I thought it was a very good and strong uh, kind of monologue that she did in that presentation. Uh, what was your take on that? I have to go back to this is film that actually went into development in 2003 at a studio. And so it's been floating around. And so I think that been so powerful and so uh, such a powerful point. We are at 2018 in a space where so many black women in particular, not necessarily a black man. Now we can get to that. That's a little problematic to me because we're in a time where there are women who have been mixing up ingredients in their kitchen for their their natural curls and um, kinks and everything in between and are now being sold in major retail stores. So that I wish that had been updated. And also that he had been something else because the whole idea that it's this man who has to affirm your hair is troubling. I do like in the end that they didn't end up together per se, that it was like, cool, I'm still getting to know you. So it wasn't this whole, oh, I thought I wanted him and I came back because you're the one who truly sees me. Although that pool scene was a bit much for me. <laughs> uh, I'm like, probably yeah. would much. Because I'm not jumping in no in a pool. Forget my hair. These shoes. I'ma lose the earring. I'm like <laughs> my dress? Nah. So that was total Hollywood. I yeah, especially like when the old ladies jumped in too and uh, yeah, it was I was like, okay, and here we go. Here we Every, go. The everybody at a cocktail party who's sober just jump in the at pool. At an engagement you party. At an engagement party. Or, yeah, it was it was strange. Maybe at the cookout. Yeah, you know. a cookout, you can definitely do that. But this was not it. This was definitely not it. There's four other books in this series. Do you think Netflix will see this as a success? I know that people have, there's a lot of buzz about it online. But do you think that they will invest in completing the series? Or Well, I don't know. I can't really speak for Netflix in that regard to this. But what I will say is that what I have been seeing on Netflix this year in particular is more black women's stories. So Netflix did Roxanne Roxanne, which is the coming of age story of one of the earliest, most successful female rappers, Roxanne Shante. And then there's another film that they picked up at Sundance, First Match, which is about 
a young girl who is, you know, in the streets kind of wilding out. And her father, she wants her father's attention. And he's a guy that's been in prison and is kind of down on his luck and trying to get back. But when he was in high school, he was a great wrestler. So she starts wrestling and they kind of bond. But then it takes a kind of dark turn. That's on Netflix. Uh, Also, Netflix, I saw 50, which is a Nollywood film, which is a sort of um, Nigerian waiting to exhale, for lack of a better uh, comparison. But what I am seeing is more stories I mean that's only about three or four but I hope that that trend continues that stories about black women and particularly their internal lives or I should say our internal lives continues to be something that Netflix invests Napoli Ever After is currently streaming on Netflix and stars Sanai Lathan, Ricky Whittle, Lyric Bent, Lynn Whitfield, Ernie Hudson, and Darla Johns. And that's our show. Thanks again to Rhonda Rache Penrice for participating in this first episode. You can follow her on Twitter at Rhonda Rache. And let us know what you think about the show. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at afka.com. Hit us up on Facebook or share your comments on Twitter at TheAfka. And the music you've been listening to is Red Carpet by my friend Lev Bonner. So until next time, keep your head up.